Well, and I'm going to start with the, the opening scripture again that we've been looking at. So, and I hope that you can help out tonight with the discussion. Obviously, you know that our Wednesday nights are more discussion, or at least I try to make them a little bit more discussion format. So as you see by the big giant graphic behind me and on your handout, our theme for the last few weeks has been all about making disciples. Be a disciple and make a disciple or make disciples because that's what Christians have been left here to do. There's no greater journey in your life than the journey of being a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus. Would you agree with that? That's a wonderful journey to be on. Now, our purpose statement comes from our theme verse, which is actually Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So that's, we're all familiar with that, and well, maybe not all, but most of us probably familiar with it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is referred to as the Great Commission. This is the last instruction Jesus gives to his disciples, and from this we're doing this series. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, in heaven and in earth. Now, Because of that, verse 19, here's the, the operative instructions for the disciples of Jesus. Go ye therefore and, key word, what is it? Teach. Now we said that Greek word could also be very accurately translated, what? Make disciples. Teach, it literally is the word to disciple, to make disciples. So, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. And how do we do that? Well, first thing is we baptize them. The first step for being a disciple of Jesus is being baptized. Not for salvation, obviously, but because we know Jesus, we're baptized to let everyone know that we are unashamed disciples of Jesus. But then the next thing that happens is we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, verse 20, this is the journey teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, we have three overriding principles that we're reviewing every week. This is what we started with two weeks ago, and we're going to review this every week because this is foundational because what we're doing is we're saying if we are on a mission to make disciples... What does the scripture say about that? These are the principles. Welcome. Glad, glad to have you here. All right. Take your Bible. Very good. Principle number one. Let's read it together. It's on your handout. We'll make sure we get this together. Ready? Number one. Disciples make... Oh, you guys got to help me a little more tonight. Are we ready? Everybody ready? Okay. So I'm on there. The making disciples principles. Here we go. Disciples make... Who make, who, what do you think? Make disciples. That's the pattern. If you're following Jesus, you're supposed to be engaged in other people following Jesus and helping them do it. So that's number one. Number two, let's read it all together. Ready? Jesus gave the process and the pattern for making disciples. Really simply put, the process is right here. You go and give the gospel, people are baptized, and you teach them. That's the process. But the, where do we see the pattern? That's the process. Where do we see the pattern or the illustration? We said, well, we look back at, well, how did Jesus do it? How did the early church do it? What were the actual things they were involved in on this disciple-making journey? So, 
Disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples ad infinitum, as they say. Number two, Jesus gave the process and the pattern for making disciples. And number three, this is, to me, this is the one that I hope in this five or six weeks that we do this together, I hope this is the one that just sinks, sinks in the deepest in your heart. Discipleship involves who? The whole church. If people are going to be made disciples in Christ and grow, it is not up to the professionals, so to speak, to do it. It's not up to the people who have Bible college training or the people who are official pastors or deacons. Discipleship, as is presented in the Bible, is the entire church. All of us together are on this mission. So I made this statement, and I'd encourage you, maybe write it down, think about it, but when you interact in the church gatherings here, whether it's in this building or at a function outside the building, but when the church interacts together, never assume that anyone is all set and taken care of. Always consider it part of our corporate responsibility to say, boy, I wonder how that person is doing. Now, I know there's a, I say this every week, there's a balance between being, being overly um, uh, in other people's business and, and that kind of thing, I understand. But at the same time, we should never just assume, well, the pastor probably has a connection with that person or the Sunday school teacher probably has a connection with that person. We are the ones that have been called to make disciples. You believe it? Each and every one of us. It's not me. It's, it's we. It's all of us. So these are the principles. Now, we looked at it. That was our first week. Then last week we saw part of the pattern we saw was that uh, lesson two was in order to be a disciple maker, you have to have compassion. So important. And we looked very carefully last week at all the groups of people that the Bible shows us that we should have compassion towards. Well, tonight's topic is lesson number three on the inside of your handout tonight. Make disciples number three. The theme is interesting. This is an interesting one. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Now, I'd like you to do me a favor and don't read ahead in your notes too much. Don't read ahead too much. But in the first blanks there, I want you to write down the first word that comes to mind when you see the word hospitality. Write down the first word that comes to mind. Just go for it. Don't tell me. Just write it down. Write it down. The first word that comes to mind, somewhere on there, don't read ahead. First word that comes to mind when you think of that word hospitality. Okay? Now put your second, third, fourth, a couple more words down. What you think of when we say that word hospitality. Okay, now let's read our text. Romans 12, 10 through 13. This is Paul's instruction to the Roman church. And this is not unique to the church at Rome, but here we find it recorded. Same principles elsewhere in the scriptures. Be kindly affectioned one to another. That sounds like good instruction for Christians, wouldn't you agree? With brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Do you see how he's giving just some general guidelines for the Christian life and how to be, a, how to be the church together? Now look at verse number 13. Here's where we zoom in. Distributing to the necessity of saints... That means giving to people that are in need, especially the fellow believers. Distributing to the necessity of saints. And then the last statement, 
is three words. Let's say them together out loud. Ready, begin. Given to hospitality. Practice hospitality. Anybody know where else that statement is found, given to hospitality? This is like a little bonus trivia question. Does anybody know there's another? You don't need to give me the reference necessarily, but there's another location where it says that statement, given to hospitality. Anybody out there? Know where it is? I'm sorry? Oh, yes. Actually, that might have been, we're going to get to that in a minute. That's, um, because that, was that your first word? Okay, we're going to talk, you're one step ahead of me. That's good, though. Um, There's one other place in the Bible, though, where it says, given to hospitality. Does anybody know? It's in the instruction for the requirements for pastors, that a pastor must be among all the things. Now, we know all of the requirements for pastors, it's not like, well, pastors have to do this, all other Christians don't have to do that. That's not the point. But it is to say that these Christian virtues must be present in the life of a pastor. And one of them is being given to hospitality. Very same Greek word. So let's think about this hospitality. So tell me, so we've got hotels was the first thing that you thought, a hotel. All right, I like that. First word that came to your mind. Somebody just tell me, what did you write down? Okay, friendly. Okay. What was the first word that came to your, to your mind? Okay, is that another one? Catering. All right, yeah. Um, that's going to be, the hotel and catering are going to be really interesting in what we're going to talk about next. I'm glad we have those. Yes? Receiving and smiling. Let's write that one down because I want, receiving and smiling, that's, that one I, I we're gonna, that's going to play into this in a minute. What did you say, Patrick? Hostess with the, sorry, I couldn't resist. All right, so what else? Anybody else? What would you write down? Gathering. Gathering, okay, all right. Anybody else? How about the young people? What did you guys write down? Trin, what do you got? Um, <laughs> caring. caring, okay, I like it. James, what do you got? Helping others out. Helping others out. Very good, very good. Anybody else got any, anything they want to do? Empathy. Empathy. Oh, I like that. I, I love food. Food. You know something? That was like the first word that came to my mind, too. Must be something biological there. I feel like if there's going to be hospitality, there ought to be food involved, all right? So, okay. Look at the, I put the, the definition of the Greek word in here, in your notes. That Greek word in your New Testament that's translated hospitality is philoxenian, or something pronounced like that. And it literally means kindness to strangers or to receive strangers as guests. That was like Jim Thompson's receiving and smiling one. I thought that was pretty good. To receive strangers as guests. And the point of this little exercise was to help us think This, and I've got a discussion question here. There is a difference between hospitality and entertaining. And I think sometimes because of our the the way we do that, when we say, well, Christians ought to be hospitable, we think of entertaining. Well, what is the difference then? What is what would you say is the difference between hospitality and entertaining? Seth? Okay, so you went to the words of Christ. 
Okay, so I think that's very insightful on this. Hospitality versus entertaining, yeah. It could be. I agree. And so, I mean, these words have a broad semantic range. So I'm just trying to use them in like common, you know, because you're right. Entertaining could be part of it. But I think sometimes people think, oh, if I can't really be hospitable because I just couldn't entertain people, etc. Because with entertaining, sometimes, uh, sometimes there's, there could be false motives behind entertaining. And this might kind of go along with what Seth, what could be a false motive behind a false kind of hospitality or an improper motive trying to impress yeah what else <laughs> that's true they pour on the schmooze so that you can buy something yeah that's true the hospitality so but we could do that in our well and that's the, the reference that Seth was referring to where Jesus says, well, if you just entertain your friends, we're going to entertain you. We're going to, then what, what are you really doing? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like expecting something in return. I think there's another danger, though, and that is it's not just that we could have false or, or impure motives, but also if we have this entertaining view, we could also have insecurities that keep us from practicing biblical hospita hospitality. What do I mean by that? We could have like insecurities that hold us back from being hospitable. Any ideas? Okay. There could be some personality things, yeah? Yep. That's what I was thinking, that there's a sense of, well, I don't really have much to offer, you know, I don't have, uh, you know, I would, if I had a big yard and a pool and a, you know, and all that cool, then I would have people come over, or, but if I did this or I did that, and of course, what we're going to see is hospitality is not just about inviting people to your home, it's more of an openness toward strangers, but if we look at it like entertainment, then how many of you have... How many of you have just stressed yourselves out like crazy preparing to have people over your home? I mean, just, just how many of you have had a terribly stressful experience, and then how many of you just not raising your hand? You're like, no, it's like, okay. You know, okay, I got a few people there. All right, thank you. Ken, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Why? Because there's this feeling like, well, I have to impress. Now, hopefully, if you're... Your, your brother calls and says, hey, I'm stopping by. You probably don't have that same amount of stress, right? Hopefully not. If there's, some, if the, if there's not too much dysfunction, you're not as... Why? Why not? Because why? Because there's comfort. Why? Because they're... What's that? I heard it in the back. Because they're family. Because they're family. This is the picture of biblical hospitality that is a key part of discipleship in the church. Again, discipleship happens in the church both formally and informally. What we're doing right now, formal or informal? Yeah, not a trick question. What we're doing right now, formal. Um, if we have, you know, you could say like we have different life groups, formal or informal. Probably a mix, right? A little of each. 
So this idea that discipleship, we, we should not limit discipleship to what happens in the formal gatherings that we have. Discipleship happens somewhat organically. And that's how this relates to making disciples. Before I move on, does anybody have any additional thoughts, comments, questions regarding this part? And then we'll move, we'll move along. Carla. This one is number three. Yeah. And these are all on our Facebook page, and, and usually they're a week behind on the uh, um, YouTube page, too. Okay, so let's look at another passage, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time. Go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. We're going to read 41 through 47. This is within days of Jesus giving his commission. This is just like within the days of Jesus saying, go, make disciples, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And then the angels do what? They carry Jesus, Jesus ascends up to heaven with the angels, right? And he's gone. And the disciples are like, okay, what comes next? Well, we're going to get about the business of making disciples, but not till you wait. You're going to wait. How many days were they told to wait? Or how many days did they wait before this disciple-making mission started? Anybody know? Eight days, right? And then the day of Pentecost was fully come. And on the day of Pentecost, they go, they preach the first gospel message, Peter preaches the message, and immediately there were thousands of people who said, hey, I'll be a disciple of Jesus. I'll be a disciple of Jesus. And pretty soon we go from about 12 disciples plus a few more, about 100 people. We go from about 100 people that got the message from Jesus to now the first day this mission starts, we go to, from 100 to 3,000. I'd say that's pretty rapid growth, wouldn't you? And, and they're, just, they're just baptizing. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, I just thought about that. This is, like, totally off track. They baptized 3,000 people that day. Like, it's just like, boom, boom, you know, one after another after another. A hundred people, let's assume they all share in the baptizing. You know, that's, uh, what, what does that end up being? 30 a pop. All right, I guess it's manageable then. That's manageable. If it was just the 12 disciples, then you do the math. It's more than that. So a couple hundred. So they, they baptize all these people. All right, step one is done. We preach the gospel. Step two is done. We baptize them. And now all that's left to do is to teach them what? What was it? Teach them what? Yeah, but it, do you remember what he said? Oh, yeah, we have to teach them everything. That's all. That's all that we have left to do is teach them everything. So how do they get about the business? How does it start? Well, look at what happens. In verse number 42, you're going to see the very first thing that happens. Uh, in the, one of the first things that, ha- that things that happens is hospitality. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' what? So that's the teaching, the active, formal or informal? Formal. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and what? Fellowship, formal or informal? Yeah, I'm going with Patrick. I'm saying informal, but yeah, there's, there's some latitude here. Doctrine, fellowship, 
and in breaking of bread, formal or informal? Informal. And in prayers. The prayers, I think, are happening in all of those settings, which is really cool. And you'll find also later on that some of the teaching was even happening in the houses. They went house to house teaching these things, which meant that in order for this to happen, people had to be willing to do what? To receive who into their home? You got it. That's the, what was that word? Strangers. They had to be willing to say, we will receive strangers, as Jim said, with a smile. We will be a people who receive strangers. Number one, if you're f- filling in the blanks, we'll keep this simple. Hospitality was the practice of the church from the beginning. From the beginning. People had to be willing to receive strangers. Anybody? Now, you would have to know a little bit more of the context here. But does anybody know anything unique about these strangers? Some of you might, because you've studied the context of this chapter. You know who these people are. But does anybody know anything about these strangers that they would have been receiving? Okay, so most of them would have been Jewish people, so there is that commonality there. But what else do we know about them? Okay. Hundred percent, hundred percent right. I'm I'm thinking more though along the lines of the practical aspects of these people, who these strangers are, where are they coming from? Here's the point: they're not the, their neighbors. Most of them, or many of them, are not their neighbors. These are not, and you're like, how do you know? Because the people who were there on the day of Pentecost were Jewish expatriates who had come from all of the surrounding countries. They'd traveled from North Africa. They had traveled from, uh, from parts of the, the Roman-controlled areas. They had traveled from lands in which they had been dispersed, bringing with them entourages and tents and provisions and whatever they had, probably different customs, because you know even as people may have, have the same Jewish identity, they're from different places. They all come together. They were not expecting to stay here. This is really important as we continue the story. They were not expecting to stay in Jerusalem. They had come for the, the holiday, the Feast of Pentecost, and they were planning on going home. But on their journey, an unexpected thing happened. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they became Christians. And i got to tell you, this isn't all that different in, in, in one sense, it's not all that different from what happens today. People, most people do not come to Christ after a planned search of Jesus. Most people aren't like, well, you know, I'm going to spend the next three months planning this uh, approach to Christianity. Most people are interrupted in the, by the Holy Spirit in the course of whatever they're doing in their life, and now they're part of the family of God, they're children of God. You know what? They don't come into the family of God with a social structure and a network and lots of encouraging friends most of the time. Are you following what I'm saying here? This kind of goes to Josh's statement there, empathy. To think, who is the other, who are these people? 
put myself in their position. And so in this, hospitality had to be part of the church from the beginning because the only way for these people to even learn, eventually they're going to go back home. They're going to go to North Africa. They're going to go to the uh, parts of Asia. They're, they're heading back, but they're going to have to stay longer than they thought. And the church said, you know what? We will be hospitable to these people. They, ha- they, they opened not just their homes, but their lives. Hospitality was the practice of the church from the beginning. Now look at verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Number two, hospitality provides a physical space for spiritual growth. Hospitality provides a physical space for spiritual growth. Is the primary, this again is not a trick question, is the primary mission of the church physical or spiritual? Spiritual. The primary mission of the church is a spiritual mission. We are not in the business of saving lives, first of all. We're in the business of seeing Jesus save souls, first of all. Lives are helped along the way, but souls are saved. It's a spiritual mission. But that spiritual mission happens in physical, through physical opportunities. So somebody speak to that a little bit. What are these... So the, obviously the apostles are doing signs and wonders, and so there's fear coming. So there's a spiritual work that's being done. But what are the physical condi- what are the physical conditions of hospitality surrounding this? And before anybody says it, I'll give you the obvious one. Yes, people's homes. It had to take place in people's homes. But what other physical acts of hospitality had to be there in order for the gospel mission to go forth? For spiritual work to happen what physical deeds of hospitality would have had to take place? Food. Food had to be prepared, had to be purchased. Now, don't tell me making a meal is not an act of spiritual service. It's a physical act, but if it's done for the honor and glory of God and it's done for the facilitating of the gospel message and teaching, it is a holy act, making of food. Uh, Brother Nate, uh, who makes this food many, many Wednesday nights, and he organizes the whole thing. It's a labor of love, and by him making this meal on Wednesday night, it has opened up a huge door of spiritual opportunity. It's amazing. That's just one example, though, because we're talking about food. When people act in the local church to clean, to work on the bus, to do any physical thing that needs to be done, if it's united to the gospel message, it is a discipleship mission. What else would have been in this? So food had to, had to be prepared. Anything else physically that would have had to be, had to be done? Mm-hmm. Yes, that would have been a spiritual, like, yeah, so, but that would have happened, yep. Right, lodging, fooding, food, lodging. Um, these people had come with certain provisions. Like, they ran out of money after a while. Our acts of hospitality provide a physical space for spiritual work. So, the question is, how can you and I be on that mission? In different ways, how can we? And that's the question for each of us to ask before the Lord. How do we do it? I've got to move on. Is that a hand? Or you got to be really careful, Julie. Like in this in this room, if your hand moves like this, like this is about to cut off. 
There, I'm calling on you, you know? Is that a, it's like an auction, you know? It's like, yep, you just bought it, $3,000, right there. Go ahead. Yeah, I forgot that. So if you didn't hear all of that, you read in 1 Corinthians later on that many years later, all of these people who had, who had gone out back home and were still Christian, they were still disciples, they're following the Lord, but they're, they've left, they heard that now the people in Jerusalem needed some help. And they raised money and sent it back to Jerusalem. They repaid the favor, I guess you could say, in a way. Really cool. All right. Number three, we're going to look at verse 44, the next verse, Acts 2, 44. And all that believed were what? Together. And had all things, what's the word? Number three, hospitality reminds us of our equality in Christ. Of our equality in Christ. Now, is this making the case for Christian communism? <laughs> it's not, Patrick. It's not. Well, out of all the churches, we only see this being acted out during this time in Jerusalem. We don't see it in any other church. Right. But we do, but do, what do we see in other churches? The same principle, though. We see the practice a little bit different, but the principle the same. So in other words, if someone in the church, if someone among the people of God has a need... Who bears the responsibility for helping to meet that need? The church does. 100%. There's no, that is an undisputed fact of the New Testament, that we are called to meet each other's needs. There's an equality. Um, so along that line, so what would happen in this setting is obviously these people are, there were people, if you read the book of Acts, people were selling their land and contributing it to the common cause. It was amazing. Now, this would become a problem in Thessalonica later on, and Paul would have to say, listen, if a man, if, if a man doesn't work, then he shouldn't be eating. You know, don't you be feeding somebody who's just not willing to work. And if there's a widow who needs to be taken care of, who should take care of them first? Their family, their biological family. But if their biological family can't take care of them, whose responsibility is it next? The United States government? No, it's the church, it's the people of God. Now, I'm not against welfare at all, to be honest with you. I think it's a sign, it's one of, the, one of the evidences of a Christian nation that we care for the poor. I am against abuses of it, of course. But that being said, the church has a responsibility to demonstrate equality by sharing in one another's needs. And it, hospitality reminds us of that. Listen, I love it. I have... I've had uh, different friends in the church who have more physical prosperity than I do, and they have shared the blessings of that with me. I've had people who in the church who have less physical prosperity than I do, and even they have shared of the abundance that they have with me, and I've reciprocated that way. It's a blessing. It's a ble- it, one of the, this was another guy in the church, I shared this a little while ago, uh, he, he was like, hey, I need a pickup truck. Can I borrow your truck? And I was like, yeah, it's the Lord's truck. And I heard that from a, from a pastor once. He said every time they bought a car, they would dedicate it to the Lord. And he and his wife, 
Uh, and he pastored, this is Pastor Jim Lake, he pastored in Vermont for years, long, long time. And um, they finally bought this really nice new car. You know, the best car they'd ever bought. But they stopped after they purchased it, and his wife and him, they, and yeah, he and his wife, they dedicated it to the Lord. They said, Lord, we'll pick up any runny-nosed kids in this car that you want. They can put their feet on the seats. You know, I'm embellishing a little bit, but that was the, that was the mentality as he shared the story. It's the Lord's. And so I said that to a brother. I said, yeah, you can borrow my truck. It's the Lord's truck. And then a few weeks later, there was something else. He's like, you know what? Yeah, if you need that, it was, there was some tool. He's like, it's the Lord's tool. <laughs> we had this thing. And I was like, you know, that's great. That's awesome. Now, we all know all of that can be abused, etc. but there's, a, there's, a, there's an equality in Christ. We are brothers. There's no rich and poor, slave or free, male or female, but we are all one in Christ. Hospitality is a reminder of that. Never, be, never buy into this, well, I don't have a nice enough home to have somebody come over and have coffee, or I don't have nice enough things to share with somebody, or I can't. Hospitality is a welcoming attitude towards strangers. Yeah, that's, a lot of cultures have that, the, those types of symbols of hospitality. And so we need to always ask ourselves the question, if we struggle with hospitality, we need to realize it's something that the Lord has called us to. It's not an optional part of the Christian life, or it's not a, it's not a, um, not a well, some people are gifted in that, some people aren't. No, it's just what we do. It's what a family does. Hospitality reminds us of equality in Christ. All right, we've got to hurry because we're running out of time. Number four, and this is from verse number 45. Let's look at verse 45. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. We sort of already talked about this, right? But I've got a little bit of another statement, or I have another statement. Number four, hospitality brings awareness to the needs of others. Awareness, they would never have known they would never have known that these people had a need unless they had what? Spent time with them. Been around them. Been open to them. And you'd be amazed at when you start spending time with people, you start to realize, oh, this person has a need. I can meet that need. Or I can bring attention to that need to someone else. Again, never assume that everyone's taken care of. Discipleship involves the whole church. Number five, on the back, back page. We'll bring this thing home here. Verse number 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, that's hospitality there, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Folks, this is real ministry. All the things that, all the things that Christians can argue about and, and get all bent out of shape about. Like you find very little instruction in the New Testament about the, about like, the, the, we make such a big deal about our formal gatherings. And we get all bent out of shape about what kind of chairs we're sitting in and what kind of music we have and what kind of clothes we wear and, and what kind of building we're in and what kind of decor is there. Churches make a big deal about all these things. The Bible says, some of those things the Bible says absolutely nothing about. Nothing at all. We know, all we know about church worship is that we're supposed to 
See, the, pre the preaching of the word is supposed to be there. The, uh, we're supposed to observe communion. We're supposed to sing to one another and to the Lord. And we're supposed to pray. Now, how we do that, we all work it out. Real ministry, real discipleship goes beyond that, though. The Bible says so much about how we relate to one another and how we care for one another. And so the point is this. Look what's happening when the whole church is on the mission. I mean, everybody. Not just like, well, I don't like the way, and, and we don't have this attitude really, but, but we got to always guard against it. Well, I don't like the way the pastor does this, or I don't like the way so-and-so does that. Just forget about all that for a minute. What are you doing? What am I doing? Because when we're all on the mission of discipleship, what's the result? Gladness and singleness of heart. There is, these are the blanks, joy and unity. Joy and unity. When we are one in Christ, when we are practicing this hospitality one with another, it is a source of joy, it is a source of unity. And then lastly is the final verse. What a great conclusion. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Number six, hospitality is a testimony. It is a testimony to the world. As all of this is going on, it says they had favor with the people. People are like, wow. Look at how these people, it was said of the early church, um, I forget which Roman writer it was, but it was, the statement was this, it was, look at how much they love each other. We don't like Christians, we don't like that they won't bow to Caesar, we don't like that they're a problem, but you can't deny them this, those people sure love each other. That was said of the first Christians, and hospitality is a huge part of it. So my goal tonight is just to reinforce those principles that are making disciples principles. You and I are disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Jesus gave us a process, but here tonight we looked a little bit closer at the pattern. And then discipleship involves whole church, every single one of us. Hospitality is a great way for you to put it into practice. So where do you go from here? Where do you go from here? Well, you could write one thing down right now and say, this week, I will act on this in this way. Would that not be a bad idea? Good idea? Say, so you know what? I'm going to take one step. And it could be something as simple as doing what Jim Thompson said at the beginning. And in the next gathering... Look for a face that is the face of a, I heard it, of a stranger. Give them a smile and express an openness to receive them. See where that goes next, little by little. Amen? Amen. Let's wrap with prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are the ultimate example of hospitality. Lord Jesus, you received us, not just strangers, but enemies, Lord, sinners, but you were willing to receive us and welcome us into your eternal home. We are so grateful. Please help us to reflect that hospitality 
to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.